coming up in this episode, the latest warlord to face justice, Conti Kamara of Yulimo, went on trial in Paris this month. We report from the court in Paris. This is why we, we have universal jurisdiction and this, this trial is about uh, addressing total impunity in Liberia. In Lofa County, where Kamara is alleged to have committed most of his crimes, people are grateful to see justice at last. Because our government did not take serious to take the people that kill people in court, chancellor in jail, let them put in there because he too is part of the killing. U.S. Ambassador for War Crimes versus Liberia, promising funding for a war crimes court. Will we see one anytime soon? Three months since the government's controversial act overhauling the LACC, insiders tell us the independent anti-corruption watchdog is barely functioning. What does this mean for our democracy? A year from elections. You are listening to Democracy in Focus. Welcome to our program, looking at Liberian democracy in the run-up to next year's elections. It's a collaboration with Front Page Africa, with reporting from some of Liberia's best reporters in the New Narratives program. I'm Evelyn Padasibi in Monrovia. And I'm Anthony Stevens reporting to you from Paris, France, where I'm covering the trial of Conti Camara the latest person to face justice in an international court for crimes allegedly committed in Liberia's civil war. The trial began here on October 10 and has been non-stop drama from day one. Prosecutors say Kamara committed himself or directed rebels to commit rape, murder, cannibalism, torture and forced labor during the four months that Unimo occupied Lofa County in 1993. There are nine plaintiffs in this trial, many women with harrowing tales that they've shared with the court. More than a dozen witnesses have come from Lofa to testify. One witness was so inconsolable and couldn't continue, saying she couldn't bear to be in the same room as Kamara. A big focus has been on the torture and murder of a four-year school teacher. Witnesses told the court that a school teacher told three white people from an international NGO that Kamara and Yunimo had burned a hospital to the ground. Kamara allegedly sought revenge on a school teacher by putting him in a tabby torture position with his elbows tied behind his back for three days before ordering a rebel to chop open his rib cage and cook and eat his heart. There have also been endless accounts of rape, torture, brutal murders, cannibalism, and desecration of bodies. Anthony. What has been Kamara's reaction in all this? Kamara is sitting in the protective transparent glass box with a guard at all times, similar to what we saw during the trial of former Liberian President Charles Taylor. He's been given numerous opportunities to respond to the allegations against him. His defense is walking a cautious line. He admits that he was in foyer during the Ulimo occupation but he insists that he was only on the front lines and never had command over civilians inside the town. His lawyers have consistently challenged the idea that the trial should even be happening. Here is a clip from an interview I had with Tokwe Kowaitim, one of his lawyers. There is not, and it's very important to explain this, any material proof that Mr. Kamara did what they are accusing him to do. So we just have uh, declarations 
which are all from 20 year, 28 years ago. And uh, what the prosecutor says now, we need to believe this without even checking if the people which they say are dead are really dead. We didn't dig, we didn't make any forensic um, uh, analysis on the, on the body. We just have people speaking. It's the only thing we have in this case. What do you think or what does he think these people will want to lie about him? You know, in a trial, there is many reasons which we cannot uh, we cannot know uh, why people are lying, while why people will uh, even make mistakes because this is possible. But what would you do if tomorrow I would accuse you of something very bad which you have done, and I would bring only witnesses? You would think this is a fair trial when there is no um, material proof of what I will accuse you. For instance, no DNA, no pictures, uh, no bodies, no corpse found uh, on um, on these uh, allegations. My job as a lawyer is to prove that what they are saying is not clear enough to condemn someone. If there is a single doubt that they can be lying or they can be mistaking, then Mr. Camara needs to be acquitted. It's friends who has no links whatsoever with Liberia, with jurors and judges who have no link with Liberia or Africa, uh, who are uh, going to take a decision concerning uh, an independent country. And this must be a question that Liberian people need to ask themselves if they consider this trial normal. Because I think, what do you think? Is yes, this trial normal? I don't think it's a normal trial. I think this is a Liberian story which needs to be judged in Liberia. Does your client think he will get justice? Uh, he really hopes uh, that they will that he will have a fair trial. This is what he hopes, and I hope that France will not deceive him on on this uh, belief he has. Now that Aikmi might have had a sway on the jury, which includes six regular French people and three judges, but Kamara has probably not helped himself by continuing to say. He knows of no atrocities committed by Ulimo during his time in Lofa. The jury has heard endless testimonies of war crimes from three dozen witnesses, including two former commissioners of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. They may think that it defies the belief that he was in Lofa at this time and they didn't see any war crimes. This is the lawyer for the plaintiffs, Sabrina Delight. How do you feel representing the civil party in this case? It's a great honor. It's a it's a big challenge because uh, for for me I'm French and it was a it was a big challenge to you know get get to know the context, get to know the culture, the history of the country, and then it's a, it's a great honor because to see them uh, how courageous they are coming, uh, how courageous they are to come here, and uh, some of them they are still afraid. Some of them say I'm not afraid anymore, but I'm really happy to come here. So it's uh, it's it's really uh, an honor to to be able to help them and come forward today. One criticism about this trial, and we spoke to the yes. Yakuli from the defense yesterday, and he said, well, this is something that happened over 28 years ago. How possible is it that these people aren't making a mistake? The, the thing is, that's very specific in this case, is that Kunti is denying a lot of things, but he's not denying that he was in FOIA at the time. And he's also, he has also confirmed that his name was Sio Kunti at the time, and that he was maybe, he confirmed uh, yesterday that he it was the only uh, person in the Ulimo at the time whose name was CEO Kundi. So I'm really, I'm really confused 
uh, that now it's it's uh, the, the witness are mistaken about the fact that a CEO Kundi in Foya was there in 1993 because Kundi is saying the same thing. Naively, I know you took a very long trip to Foya last week to find out how people there are reacting to this trial. Yes, Anthony, we waited for the end of the rains, but they were lingering. It was not much of a challenge finding people who say that they suffered at the hands of Kamara during the four months Yulimi was there in the 1990s. People throughout the district of Foya know him as CEO Kundi. He's been gone for more than 29 years, but the people here still live with the sights of his alleged crimes and the memories. In Chisakonjo town, witnesses told me that six men were allegedly killed on the orders of Kamara. Their names were Augustine Pillow, Tama Africa, Sabowe, Zizekbanya, Samusa, and Tamasupno. Evelyn Pillow is the sister of Augustine Pillow. We were here and they see Okundi, see Okundi, see Okundi. Then the next man that was right close to him, Jongoba, they were just calling him. First man that was in front here, they call him Moses. He just should they come. Whoop! Everybody, nowhere to run because here they go and stand right before your door now. So everybody will go under the bay. Most of the young, young boys that were sitting outside, some of them went in the bush. So the people came, they were just shooting, 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 shooting. So they left my power horse, they put fire there. They hold my brother, with the, the small brother and the sister, they hold them outside. They were taking people from the horses now, bring it right to my power horse over there. They land on us there. The women, they catch you, they can't put you down there. Small children, they catch them, they can't put them down there. So that my brother, when they hold him outside, they shoot him first. So he was fighting to come out of the fire. That the time now, they shoot him for the second time. They caught the thing here, the thing here. It used to be hanging. So they tell the knife, they call it. They want to call it. They tell the pie, they roast it. When we're going now, here they're eating it. A famous among stories of CEO Kondi and his boys was the fearful Vietnam base. Survivors say that place was known as No Mercy. The chances of anyone returning from Vienna after Kondi had ordered their execution were very slim. It was that Teresa Boto, husband, was beheaded. His head was placed on a stick and she says that she was made to keep watch by the head. The president that called for the meeting, CEO Queenie, he was in Vienna there. So when he called for the meeting, I never knew that for my husband they called for the meeting. Soon in the morning, they say, baby, Mao, even you born newly, even you can't hear today, everybody will go. When everybody example, now how can they, they call for my husband? By the time they call him, they say, you go. Now how can we tell you, I say, my husband is not rebel. He is say we're talking, he say, I'm not rebel, I beg you. Now how can they take the net, they chop him? See you, Kuni, said the hair on the roof. They tell me to go, say, I saw the hair. They carry the body in the front with my dollar in my hand. When they say, they send the boys in behind me. Men there, the poor are sleeping. They carry gone. They say, I'm going to go, say, sad away. They hear what on the road. So I will read with my dollar. So he said, who want to make get you? Anytime I want to see you, you bring. She will not go nowhere. So I have to send for me. 
The giant said, Yale, gay. Is there any time one see the gay? Yama bring her. Ponetto came in any time, they were planning to kill me. Another troubling story was that of Sarah Joseph. She alleged that her husband was made to dig his own grave. Sarah says because someone had a dream about her father that he had Juju, Sio Kondi gave the order for him to be killed. And she says that the title rope around his waist beat him and dragged him from Sodu to Foya. Then they shot him three times and his entire body fell into the grave. Now that Kondi Kamara has been on trial, what do victims want to see come out of this trial? Quite frankly, all of those victims, families and survivors I spoke with are calling for justice. Some even said that they want Kondi Kamara to face capital punishment. But I must be clear here that France does not have death penalty. The most pressing time Kamara is facing is life sentence within France, which is 30 years. So one flampo is another victim. She says she wants the court to do the same thing he did to her brother and son, by which she means he should be killed. She says he should not be alive while they are living with frustration. I hear that same sentiment from almost everyone I spoke with here, Anthony. They are still really grieved and hoping to see Kamara convicted in Paris. Thanks for taking that long trip and bringing us these stories evening. Just as this trial was getting on the way, the U.S. Ambassador for War Crimes, Beth Van Schaak, arrived in Liberia, demanding the government to finally address justice for the war. Van Schaak had some involvement with Liberian justice activists before she took up this role, so it was no surprise that she's led the Biden administration to step up pressure on the government. The biggest news from her announcement was that the U.S. would pay for the court. Even if it only tried a dozen or so top offenders, as Sarah Lund did, it would cost hundreds of millions of dollars, so that one major obstacle to the court is out of the way. I discussed this with ex-TRC Commissioner John Stewart on the silence of the Paris trial. The Civil War was a culmination that saw abuses on a scale never seen ever before in Liberia. And up till now, since then, uh, nobody has been held to account except for a few individuals uh, like uh, Kunti Kamara who has uh, been held to account, not by, not by a Liberian court, but a court in France. But that is commendable because it sends a message, at least uh, we're chipping away at the culture of impunity and fear. So this is a beginning, and it's a very hopeful beginning. Coupled with that was the recent visit of Ambassador Van Schaak to Liberia, when she uh, announced that it was now time for the establishment of a war crimes court to hold people accountable for what happened in what Liberia. Do you, what do you think about that? I welcome it. I think it sends a very powerful signal coming from the U.S. that the days of impunity are numbered, because people will be held to account, and uh, a lot of people had lost hope that they were ever going to see justice, as you can see from the testimonies. Does that statement inspire you and others? It does, it does, it does, it does. How? 
How? In so many ways, more than one. How? Because this is the very first time since we, the TRC concluded its report that an official of the U.S. government has come forth and said, now is the time. And mind you, there were five American nuns, two Americans who were devotees of Hare Krishna who were killed. So this is a very hopeful beginning that at least people will be held to account. So going forward, because Liberians have no guarantee that what happened in the past cannot be repeated in the future. So bringing these people to trial will serve as some form of guarantee that Liberians can say, well, at least this will not happen. It will send a message to perpetrators and want to be perpetrators because there are some people who are longing for justice. They want to avenge because they cannot secure justice. In July, when the government quickly pushed an act through the legislature to overhaul the country's independent corruption watchdog, critics were outraged. They said the move by the government was designed to actually shut down investigation into government corruption. Three months on, those claims appear well-founded. Reporters Vanin Dukli of OKFM and Tina Mempen of the Dilla Observer newspaper phone Liberian Anti-Corruption Commission has all but shut down. Tina and Vani join me now on this program. Welcome. Thank you, Evelyn. Thank you. Tina, can you give us a quick recap of what happened with this LACC Act in July? Yes, Evelyn. The Act was the first big revision that created the Anti-Corruption Commission in 2008 when a tax force recommended to former President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf that having an independent body arms length from government was the big way to root out corruptions in public bodies. The restated LACC Act gives the commission power to prosecute cases directly where it had previously had to go through the Ministry of Justice. Government claimed the reforms were necessary to help the commission do a better job. But there were some revisions that really concerned anti-corruption activists. Key amongst them was the requirement that all commissioners be fired, including Chairman Edwin Martin. Before this, commissioners had been granted five years tenure and could not be fired. That was to protect them from political intimidations or influence. What made people even more suspicious about this new ad evening was the fact that it came soon after the commission had just announced cases against several government officials. Lofa County Senator Steve Zako is one of the five senators who voted against the bill. Above all, the fact that uh, you can have the commissioner deem resign when you have a tenure or because he has exposed other government officials that the government is reluctant to prosecute Gabmi and the few senators that you saw reading that press conference not to vote for it. So it's like in this background that uh, we said, no, the spirit intent is not good. The time is wrong. I, I, even if you do a good thing, you can't in, in doing a good thing, you can do several bad things to accomplish a good thing. The chairman of the Judiciary Committee at the House of Representatives, Kanye Wesso, rejected that allegation. I don't believe that the act was passed to favor corrupt uh, officials. And the day the LACC uh, engages in uh, favoring a corrupt official, uh, I can tell you, I will be the first one to, 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 to help to ensure that our corrupt official uh, is, 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 is prosecuted. 
Fanny, three months on from that, what's exactly happening at the Liberia Anti-Corruption Commission? Well, it seems the critics have been proven right. We spoke with a source within the commission who asked not to be named for fear of losing their job. But they said investigations have almost ground to a halt. Staff morale is terrible. Cases are not going to court. Lawyers are challenging cases claiming that the commission is about to be dissolved. Asset declaration by public officials are not coming in. It certainly looks like the key watchdog scrutinizing government corruption has been silenced. And this comes as the government was overwhelmed with corruption allegations as well as the U.S. Treasury decision to put sanctions on three top government officials. In an embarrassing international blow, Francis Johnson Allison is a former commissioner and chief justice of the Supreme Court. It's obvious to me that the act of telling an integrity institution um, officials to resign, you know, and to reapply, it is clear that this was intended to undermine the fight against corruption in the first place and also, you know, impede our democratic journey. At the same time, we are hearing from anti-corruption activists that they are afraid to speak out because of mysterious deaths of potential whistleblowers in the last two years. Overall, we are seeing a lot less scrutiny on government in the lead up to next year's elections and activists say the country is taking a step backwards in efforts to stamp out corruption. Tina Mempin of Daily Observer newspaper and Vani Dukle of OKFM. Thanks for your reporting. Welcome, Evelyn. Thank you, Evelyn. Welcome. Well, the latest on our story is that a petition filed by the executive chairperson of the Anti-Corruption Commission, Edwin Clamantin, seeking to stop the government from enforcing the controversial amended ad will now be decided by the full bench of the Supreme Court. Finally today, New Republic reporter Jocelyn Weir has been reporting on the solutions to looking at a new form app that will allow Liberians to report corruption by police, civil servants, and in schools. Jocelyn joins me now. Anthony, until now, people have hired to physically call to the Liberia Anti-Corruption Commission or CINTA, the Transparency CSO, to report incidents of corruption. That's not something most people have time to do. With this new app, they can just download it onto their phones and in a few clicks, they can report corruption to the LACC and CINTA and send photos, videos, audios as evidence of corruption. So if you are at a government office or a school or with the police, for instance, and the public servant demands a bribe, you can record that and report it straight away. Most importantly, you can do this anonymously. I know a lot of people worry about blowback for reporting corruption, but this will allow them to give their evidence without giving their names. You can imagine just knowing that anyone can be recording and submitting evidence at any time will make a lot of public servants more nervous. The app is the work of a collaboration of several CSOs with the LACC. It's being led by Integrity Watch, which is headed by longtime transparency campaigner Harold Edu. Corruption is ripe, it's systemic, it's endemic, and that is why this tool has come. 
This tool has come to address corruption, to make sure that we fight the systemic corruption in our society, we address the endemic corruption in our body politics, in our social fabric. This tool has come to make sure that we get rid of corruption. And we are looking forward to you and everybody in our society to use this tool to make sure that we drive corruption away from our society. As we know, the Anti-Corruption Commission is ongoing and overhaul. Would that impact the rule out of this app? Yes, it's not great, Tammy. But Mose Koo, who is the executive director of the LACC, is very supportive. And he says an awareness campaign will roll out as soon as things get going again at the commission. We also training young people on all the same project. We training young people, deploy them across the country, that will be able to use the application that have been developed. It can be used by SMS text, and the system is set up so the IPAs the data cost instead of the user. For now, users can go to the Google Store and download the Talkie app. That's T-A-L-K-A-Y. And we are told once the LACC is up and running, people can start reporting corruption. Justly, thanks for your reporting. You are welcome. That's all we have for now. In our next program, we will hear from some of our new reporters in the new narratives program who have been looking at solution stories across the country. You are listening to Democracy in Focus, a new narratives production. If you have a story suggestion or want to let us know what you think about our program, text us at WhatsApp number plus 231-770-960-297. You can also comment and follow us on Facebook at New Narratives or check out our website, newnarratives.org. I'm Anthony Stevens. And I'm Evelyn Padasipi. The music in this episode is by Fifth Vonick. Reporting in this episode was funded by the Swedish and U.S. embassies in Liberia and the American Jewish World Service. Thanks for listening. <laughs>